Welcome to Ivor's Everything Bagel, where I talk with intriguing people about everything, their passions, pursuits, and points of view. My guest is passionate about Hollywood, or more specifically, one of Hollywood's most successful writers of all time. Vanity Fair called him perhaps the greatest screenwriter in history. But not a lot was known about the man behind the typewriter. For many films, such as North by Northwest, The King and I, Sabrina, West Side Story, and The Sound of Music. My guest today, John Krampner, brings this prolific writer front and center in his new book, Ernest Lehman, The Sweet Smell of Success, published by the University Press of Kentucky and available on Amazon and all the usual places. For more on John and his books, go to ErnestLehmanBio.com. And you can follow him on Twitter at PBJ06. John, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Ira. It's good to be here. What drove your decision to write about Ernest Lehman? Well, this is my fourth book, and I wanted to do a literary biography. Living one uh, zip code away from Hollywood, I decided that meant a uh, screenwriter. And that's, uh, that's what kind of led me to him. Was it a lot of work to find material on him? He was an elusive type, wasn't he? Yeah, it was. Um, there was a lot of material available about his films, but really not so much about him. And he really, uh, that was by design. He wasn't comfortable being in the public eye at all. And also in his, the various records that he left, the interviews he did, he was always steering the attention back to the films and off of him. So I really did everything I could to track down his colleagues, his friends, and his family to be able to convey the world a sense of what he was like as a person. Did you find them cooperative or were some resistant or also evasive or elusive? Well, um, it really ran the gamut on this one. The main problem, actually, it was just, it was really hard to find people. There were some like his, uh, his Honduran cleaning lady, who was a terrific source, by the way. It, it took me a year to find her, you know. The, uh, his younger adult son, Alan, was very helpful. But like his father, he was kind of reticent and wary. And so it, there was a certain amount of effort into just, you know, getting him to feel comfortable with me. Then there were things like, you know, Lehman, of course, was a very successful screenwriter. But his one bomb, Portnoy's Complaint, uh, I tried to talk with Richard Benjamin. And uh, as I say in the book, uh, Benjamin was polite in turning me down. <laughs> I really got the but I like I, I got the, <laughs> yeah, but but I I got the feeling that you know he would uh, rather undergo a root canal without <laughs> anesthesia than to talk to me. So it, it really varied on a case by case basis. <laughs> Your book, a lot of the things it talks about, I was aware of some things about Ernest Lehman and also about Burt Lancaster, but I didn't realize that connection between him and Burt Lancaster's production company and how he was tormented during those years. And that gave me a whole new perspective on not only Burt Lancaster, but the other two partners as well. Yeah. What's interesting to me is that, yeah, both, well, not both, but, you know, Lancaster and Hecht and Hill, they were all pretty, oh God, I don't want to say unsavory, but pretty difficult people. And they they, they really took a certain amount of pleasure into sort of 
kind of you know bullying and, and, and tormenting Lehman so much so that when he he left the film and you know Clifford Odets came in to, to finish it. At one point, oh, we should uh, we should point out the film that we're talking about in this case because he was involved in so many films. Sweet smell. Of oh, success. sweet uh, sweet smell of success. Of course, I'm sorry. That's all right. And so when he left, sweet smell of success. No, thee, by the way. Um, <laughs> uh, one day, uh, Burt Lancaster put his arm around him, walked him to the door, and said, "Gee, Ernie, we're not the cause of your trouble, are we?" <laughs> so, um, and uh, again, another anecdote I, I use in the book is how in the office of Hecht Hill Lancaster, they had a cage of finches, I think. And the finches would always become silent when Lancaster approached. You know? How did you get that nugget of information? That was in one of the articles that I read off the top of my head. I can't remember which one. But of course, the best and the most off-color uh, Burt Lancaster anecdote is the circumstances of his meeting Lehman, where uh, Lehman was in his office one day waiting to meet him, and Lancaster walks in, he's zipping up his fly, and he grins and says, she swallowed. So uh, That was, his, it, it, that was it, his first meeting with Burt Lancaster. Yes. Amazing. Was Hollywood, from your perspective, was Hollywood of that time perfect for Ernest Lehman, given the fact that he was this elusive character? Would he be able to prosper in today's Hollywood or perhaps in the Hollywood of the 20s and 30s? That's an interesting question because, of course, the uh, certainly the Hollywood of today, I think he would have a harder time in because there was a certain amount of understanding that you could sort of... Uh, you know, hide behind the wall of the publicity people. Whereas now there are all these websites just devoted to getting every last scrap of information about you out in the public. So um, I think that the Hollywood of today would have been a much uh, harder road to hoe for Lehman. Do you attribute his elusiveness to his family background and upbringing? Well... I think it was just kind of his nature because his uh, his uh, sister Jane was about a year or two older. She was a kind of normal, extroverted person, but Lehman, for whatever reason, and again the the words used about him were wary and reticent. So he he just what well, he was more comfortable operating than being in it. That's just how he was. I mentioned in the opening about the typewriter, and it's hard for people to imagine these days, but all of his work in those movies that we talked about, the films, were done from a typewriter, not a word processor or a computer. It was magic well, it actually, by a typewriter, right? Well, it, it kind of varied. He uh, Or it was handwritten as well, longhand as well. Sometimes he would actually start out, yeah, handwriting on, on, on a... Uh, I believe it was like a legal pad, but yeah, sometimes he would work on a typewriter. So it just uh, it really depended according to his mood. But yeah, there were uh, that that was um, that was uh, back when they they didn't have computers and you know people rode their dinosaurs to school. <laughs> I just think it's fascinating using low tech equipment such as pen and paper and or pad and paper 
or pad and pen and pencil and typewriter and copy paper, carbon paper, that he was able to contribute to such great films. And we don't think about it in those terms mostly, but it's still fascinating to me that that's the way things were for many, not just to him, but for most screenwriters and most people in Hollywood, especially during 30s, 40s, 50s, there wasn't the technology available. Certainly on the filmmaking side, there's technology, but on the creating the script side, there wasn't what they have now. Well, yeah, there, there was no um, you know, screenplay writing software or anything like that. And uh, it, it's funny because, uh, and I'm, you know, I won't comment on the, the usefulness or lack thereof of that software, but what I'm reminded of when I was a kid and I used to wear kids sneakers and the, uh, the commercial for them said that with kids sneakers, you could run your fastest and jump your highest. And um, actually back then I believed it, but anyway, <laughs> the, you know, the fact is that as Lehman shows or people back then, you can do just as good a screenplay on a, typewriter or on longhand as you can with screenwriting software. Talent will out. It just It's a little bit slower sometimes, but that's okay. I want to talk a little bit about his contributions. And I want to quote from your book. And it said, what ultimately makes Lehman an important screenwriter is not just his crisp dialogue, clean story structure, and insistence on not confusing the audience, or his long list of critically acclaimed box office triumphs, it's his almost Dylan-esque ability to reinvent himself across genres. That's a, uh, a great description of his ability, and you cover it, obviously, in your book, again called Ernest Lehman, The Sweet Smell of Success, even though the movie doesn't have a the in front of it. <laughs> to make the point. So could you give us a little bit more detail about his ability to reinvent himself and how was he able to do it based on your research and your interviews? Well, there was nothing in the research that, that pointed to that. As a matter of fact, once an interviewer asked him point blank, uh, how can you do this? How can you uh, succeed in such a wide variety of genres? And Lehman was tongue-tied. He couldn't answer. And so what I just have to infer is just he was a natural. He wasn't the sort of person who would just work one part of the waterfront or one genre over and over again. But he was just a very fertile and talented people, person who could do that. But the how of it is not available to me, and on a conscious level, it wasn't even available to him. Do you think he was wise in a way of not trying to explore the reason? When you start to dissect comedy, for example, it becomes unfunny. So perhaps if you try to dissect his creativity for him, it would stop it. It would stall it. It would interrupt it. That's entirely possible. I, it's, a, it's one thing to be versatile. It's another thing to be able to do a dissertation on versatility. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> I think that was just he a better the, explanation than what I just said. <laughs> no, 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 no. It was just he had the former, but not the latter. Right, right. Based on your research and again, based on your interviews, what was the most, well, it's a two-part question, really. 
What was the most important thing you found out through your research and in terms of your interviews with people that you could get hold of, who was the most important contact and, and gave you the most important information? The most important contact. So you had an opportunity That's... to interview, like you talked about the housekeeper. It may have been her, may have been somebody else, but who was, for purposes of your book, yeah. who was the most important person that you were able to get hold of and as a result, get information that really made a difference in the book? And then going back to my part one of that question is in your research, what was the most important nugget you found? I guess if I were going to list a single most important person, it would be his younger adult son, Alan. And I say younger adult son because uh, Lehman was married twice to his, his first wife, Jackie, he was married to for, for 50 years. And later in life, uh, uh, he married his second wife, Gloria, who was a much younger woman. And they had a son, I think, when Lehman was in his 80s. The, uh, that was, uh, but anyway, so that, I mean, technically he's an adult now. But doubling back to Alan, he was really able to connect me with a lot of, he was my gateway to other people in the family and to various family uh, documents and photos. Fully one quarter of the photos in the book I got from Alan. So he was, uh, I, I guess I would say he was really the, the MVP as a, as a source. In terms of a single most important piece of information, that's, that's kind of hard for me to do because the, there were kind of a lot of things that were equally important. I'm trying to think of something off the... Well, how about if I rephrase it? What was the most surprising thing you found out? Or one of the most uh, surprising things you found out about Ernest Lehman? I would say like the most important thing, I guess, was just that you would expect somebody who created all these monster, huge, iconic screenplays to be sort of this larger-than-life figure. And as I say in the preface, he was a slightly smaller-than-life figure. <laughs> he, was, he, was, he was very kvetchy. He, was, he, he could be kind of petty. He was, he was very uncertain. And it's just like his... Take Sweet Smell of Success. He wrote the novella and then the film that it was based on. And it's a classic of hard-boiled writing. And yet Lehman was such a soft-boiled person. And so, so that, that, to me, was the most surprising thing about him. You also demystify, in a way, the process, because there's scenes in your book about him walking down the street with a producer and kicking around ideas for a film and dialogue, etc. Because you always think of it, them being in the, the writer's room or in a building on the studio lot. But sometimes it's just a matter of walking down the street and talking around, what is the dialogue for the next day's scene? Mm -hmm. Well, and it's interesting because if you're referring to his work with Billy Wilder Correct. on Sabrina, what was interesting about that is that Lehman was a very meticulous person. He liked to plan things out way in advance, do multiple drafts. I think on one of his film, he films, he might have done like seven drafts, whereas Wilder, on the other hand, 
I just love to improvise and constantly be skirting on the edge of danger. And they would be coming up with the scenes for, or the script, the, the lines for the scenes they would be shooting the next day while they were walking around at night in Beverly Hills. And that, that just drove Lehman so crazy that at one point he had a nervous collapse on the, on the film. He had to, uh, his, his doctor said, you know, go home, you know, stay in bed. But Wilder being Wilder said, bed rest or no bed rest, I have a movie to get out. So he snuck into Lehman's house and was working with him. And then one day while Wilder was there, Lehman's doctor shows up. So Wilder hides in the closet. But somehow the, the, the doctor was hip to him. And it's a, as the doctor finished up with Lehman and he was leaving, he called out in the stage voice, you can come out now, Mr. Wilder. <laughs> Did Lehman have a sense of humor? about himself or others, based on your research? Yes. Yes, he did. He, uh, he, he was very self-deprecating. He did have a good self-deprecating sense of humor, but it, it functioned intermittently and not all the time. That's very perceptive of you, considering the fact you mentioned earlier he liked the kvetch. So I could see both of them going on, but not at the same time, on a continuous basis. So yes, that makes sense. You mentioned he was married twice, the first time a long time, to Jackie. Was he the marrying type? Was he the marrying kind of guy? In other words, he had such a long marriage with Jackie. Yeah. Did it suit him to be married, or did he didn't get into the Hollywood stream of partying and starlets and all that kind of it, stuff? It, it very much suited him to be married. I would amend that by saying I think he really needed to be married because he needed someone to take care of him. The Lehman married when he was, uh, for the first time to Jackie, when he was uh, 27, he was living at home until he got married. He was living at home till age 27. Then uh, he got married to Jackie. They were married for 50 years. Then he had, and he did have, I know he had, he had an affair with one of his secretaries that he's aware of. I'm not sure how long it lasted. I don't know if there were others. There, there were rumors that he had an affair with Karen Black, but I, I pretty well established that, that, that that's not the case. But when, his, when Jackie died, he kind of played the field for two years, and then he married his second wife, Lori, and it, it was kind of a Hollywood record at the time. She was uh, 51 years younger than, than he was. As, a, uh, as an acquaintance of hers, hastened to point out, though, she was not a gold digger. She, she came from money herself. She, she just happened to be the, the world's biggest fan of the sound of music. <laughs> you may... <laughs> so a little idol worship, perhaps. It is revealing that here is a man who was involved in writing for so many, as you mentioned, iconic films, and yet he was smaller than life, and he was married twice, so he had a fairly stable domestic life. And in a way, he is, and I don't say this in a derogatory way, in a way, he is unremarkable, and yet what he has created is remarkable. Yes. As a matter of fact, 
his daughter-in-law was a psychologist and uh, she pointed out that for all the creativity bubbling inside of him, that externally he had a very kind of a flat affect. You know, you, you, you could mistake him for an accountant or something. Were there many people like that in Hollywood or was he the exception to the rule? To an extent, I would say he was an exception to the rule. And I should probably narrow it down as well, meaning the Hollywood screenwriting community versus actors and technicians, etc. Well, again, I can't really speak to, to that many screenwriters, but again, it was really interesting to me what a, non, <laughs> a non-flamboyant person he was, uh, just you know, very low-key. And you know, if you ran into him on the street, unless he told you who he was, you, know, you would really have no idea. Yet at the same time, he had an ego and he had ambition, correct? Oh, absolutely. He was very determined to make it in Hollywood. He, uh, he had been a, an assistant for a um, man named Irving Hoffman, who was a Broadway publicist. And, you know, he really, um, you know, made a point of, you know, milking the contacts that he got through Hoffman to, to get out to Hollywood. He, um, see, I guess about six years before he was, finally went out to Hollywood in 1952. He went out and I'm, I'm blanking on the name of the producer now, but he, he spent a day with the producer who is supposedly the model for uh, Sammy Glick and what makes Sammy run. And so he was, he was really determined you know, to, to make it no matter what. And when he decided to become a screenwriter, like everyone in his family was like, oh my God, that's so difficult. The odds are so long. And in so many aspects of his life, Lehman was kind of quiet and shy and timid. But in this regard, I have a letter he wrote to his wife once where he said, look, I'm going to make it. And if everyone just calms down, then there won't be any problem. So it's just remarkable how in so many aspects, he was this shrinking violet, but he knew he was going to make it. And it was like Babe Ruth's called shot. He made it. He did. He wrote, as you mentioned earlier, sometimes a dozen drafts of a screenplay to the point where some producers and directors were frustrated with him because <laughs> he, he was so prolific. How did he get the energy, the time? and the wherewithal to continually revise and produce new scripts of the same movie when they were satisfied with, let us say, script number one, and he's already doing rewrites up to script number 10. Well, it, uh, I think the risk of appearing to be a know-it-all, I think he did maybe like six or seven max. But the fact is that, well, I mean, first of all, in Hollywood, nobody does just one draft. So that's, it, it, it's, it's standard that there's a, yeah, two or three. But or you make whatever. a point of it in your book that they were frustrated yes. because he kept... Oh, absolutely. Well, the, the, the best story in that regard is on his first film, uh, Executive Suite, the all-star business film produced in 1954 by John Hausman. And at one point, John Hausman was talking to the director, Robert Wise, and saying, look at this great scene that, that Lehman wrote. And Lehman was in the room at the time. Hausman said, let me read the scene to you. And Lehman uh, said to Hausman, 
don't bother, I'm going to be rewriting it. <laughs> and Hausman got furious and said, you are a barbarian going at the Hope Diamond with an axe. Get out of here. <laughs> but you don't answer my question, which is how was he able to keep doing, I know it's standard in Hollywood for certain rewrites, but he went beyond the pale. So whether it's 10 or 6 or 4, it doesn't matter. The point is, how did, how did he have the time and energy to do that when he's working on other projects or is hoping to work on other projects and other films? Right. Well, in a sense, your, uh, your edit to yourself kind of answers the question that he would really only do one thing at a time. There, there is one significant exception when he was doing three things at a time. I'll get to that in a second. But as a general rule, he only did one at a time. And so he, I don't think he even thought of it as having the energy to do it. It was just like, there's a right way and a wrong way. And the right way is to keep reworking it. I'm going to do it. And he, since he's on the clock, he figures he's, he's going to keep working. Before I let you go, tell yes. us about the three things he was doing at one time. He was working on three major films going three different studios, right? Right, right, right. The, yeah, I think that was when he was working on, I think, Sweet Smell of Success. And the, in, in one day, they needed, a, they needed a few more lines for Yul Brenner in The King and I. So he went over there to that studio and did that. And then I believe he was also had some touch-up work to do on Somebody Up There Likes Me, the Paul Newman movie. So as I mentioned in the book, he worked on three classic films in one day. And most screenwriters don't have careers that good. Before I let you go, last question. Would he be, if you were to make a list, top 10 screenwriters of all time in Hollywood, number one, would he be on that list? And would he be on the top five? Oh, definitely the top five. I mean, you know, William Goldman, uh, Nanoe Johnson, uh, Nora Ephron. Uh, there's, and there are several important ones I'm sure I'm leaving out, but he would definitely be in the top five. Well, that's a great way to leave it. My guest has been John Krapner. He's author of Ernest Lehman, The Sweet Smell of Success, published by the University Press of Kentucky and available on Amazon and all the usual places. For more on John and his books, go to ErnestLehmanBio.com. And you can follow him on Twitter at PBJ06. John, thanks for being on the show. It's a pleasure to be with you, Ira. And join us every Thursday for a new schmear on Ira's Everything Bagel.